my name is Andrew Shankman. I'm a writer, mostly of kids' cartoons, and also the host of this podcast, Goodest Notes. On Goodest Notes, our mission is to interview career creatives of all kinds about the best notes and feedback they have received on their work from their collaborators. Because getting notes can be rough, but they can also be goodest. We're still workshopping the intro. Today's guest is Jason Lee. Jason is a hairstylist and salon owner. He's won the L'Oreal Color Trophy and was the first ever winner of the Superstar Hair Challenge television show on Canada's Slice Network. Most recently, Jason has launched a luxury hair care line called Mella and Kara. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. I wanted to begin with kind of a selfish question from a very haircut-challenged person like myself. Uh... In your opinion, what's the difference between a good haircut and a great haircut, and how can I achieve that? I love that. That's such a good question. I think everything that I approach is about storytelling. So when somebody sits in my chair, I think what I do differently than other people is that I first get to know them. I try to understand where they're coming from, where they're at in that moment. We're starting off really intense here. (laughs) But anyways, I mean, that's what I do when I see somebody. Anybody can do a haircut. I think what makes something special is when you actually really understand the person and give them something that is part of their story. I'm literally just there as somebody who helps them express who they are uh, in that moment. So that's what makes something great as opposed to just good. How's that? That's an exciting answer. That's great. <laughs> in fact, it anticipated my second question, which is beyond whether they're you know immediately happy or not, what kind of feedback from your clients during the process of the haircut afterwards, what kind of feedback do you find is most helpful to your work? I think any kind of good creative process is collaborative. I think it's super boring if you're just doing whatever you want to do. I mean, listen, you have to kind of have your own voice in the work that you do and create your own you know, opinion in your, in your talents. But that said, I mean, I like to ask my clients as I go or whoever I'm working on, whether it's a model, whether it's you know, anybody that I'm working on at the time. Like I said, it's a collaboration. It's it's understanding where they're coming from, what they're looking for. And of course, I like to hear if something was good the time before, not as great, because that's how we get better. So I guess the idea is just kind of going with a very open mind into the process, as opposed to a very kind of narrow approach to things. I find that really kind of narrow, constricted approach is a little more challenging. I like open and I like, you know very optimistic approaches to things. Working in the animation industry is also kind of a team sport or type of creativity that's really set up to work between people. And I relate to enjoying that. Do you have to work with a lot of people in what you do? Yeah, at multiple stages. You know, as a script is being realized, you kind of go back and forth through email or in person or phone calls. And so you get that kind of opinions and perspective from other creators and sometimes not creators, like very consistently throughout the process. And I have grown to enjoy it. It is mostly not frustrating. It's mostly wonderful. In launching a product line like Mela and Kara, I imagine that you needed to make hundreds of little decisions before the final product is realized. Looking back on that experience, I was wondering have you learned anything specific about how to cut through your options and and be decisive? Yeah, I'll tell you the hardest part about coming out, and I guess this is true for anything, but specifically with a brand, and I remember very specifically going through this process and asking a lot of people for their advice on how to do it. People who work with great people. And one thing that I experienced was a lot of, and this is not Misha talking marketing, but there are a lot of marketing people put on us 
a lot of very structured ideas that were put on us because typically it works, right? Oftentimes when somebody goes out to create a brand or something, there are equations to follow. But as a creative person, that actually was the worst thing to do to me because we had our I say we because it's not just myself, but I have my own voice in all of this. And oftentimes when there were other people brought on to the project, it actually muted me more than anything. And the one thing that I really took away from it was really having the confidence in your own voice, especially if you're doing something that's kind of representative of your work. So oftentimes you have to work in a group situation and maybe you can't necessarily do that. But when you're the leader, you certainly have to be very, very focused on what you believe and listen to people, but also know that it's really best for the brand to say no in certain situations. So that was my biggest takeaway so far. Yeah, sort of confidence and develop a protectiveness of your vision. There's a lot of perceived or established wisdom in the different kind of collaborators you work with to realize something and being protective of, especially as the leader or one of the leaders, being protective of what you bring to the product is a great way to sort of know whether you want to listen or not to a probably very wise thing that other people are, are bringing to the table. I think that, and I don't know if you've had this experience for myself, I've looked up to certain people in my life and they tend to be very strong, empowered people. And I mean, these are some people I don't even know. Somebody like Madonna or Rihanna. Like I look to these people and they're strong individuals. And I really kind of thought, well, what makes them different? You know, how does somebody become a Madonna or a Rihanna? I'm always asking this. Right. And I think it's something that is a healthy thing to do. As long as you do it your own way, I think it's really good to kind of look at people who have done it and say, what did they do that's different? You know, and those two in particular people are very strong with their opinion. And I really, really value that as influences on my work. Speaking of looking up to strong and empowered people, I know that you learned your trade in part through a relationship with a mentor and that paying that experience forward is important to you. I was wondering, do you have any tips on how to be a good mentor for others? who might be stepping into that kind of role in the future. I mean, I think back, I had a mentor. He discovered me when I was, I think, 15, so a long time ago. And he saw something in me. Actually, what happened was that I wanted to become a dancer my whole life. And he saw me putting together this community fashion show and I was like choreographing some dance routine. It was terrible, to be honest. (laughs) But I was 15. And he saw me and he came up to me and he was a hairdresser. And he said, listen, I need somebody to put together all of my trade shows for me. I travel across North America. They're industry shows, so like nobody will ever see it. But I need somebody like you to come on the road with me. So literally, I was in grade 10 and I went on the road. And he taught me a couple of really important things. He was a hairdresser, but he started in construction. He said, you know, when you have a condo, you got to build the foundation first. And that really made a lot of sense to me, something to be supported by. I just remember having very good conversations with him And I think when you're going to be a mentor for somebody, you have to really recognize that that was you at one point and to give back because it's really important to be selfless in those moments because you don't know if you're saying something that could completely change somebody's path in their life, which is such a powerful thing. I mean, for the positive, you know? He once said to me, just like, so what do you want to do with your life? I'm like, well, I'm going to be a dancer. I'm going to to dance for Madonna. And he's just like, okay, but you know, on one hand, if you become a hairdresser and I can show you how to do that, you're going to make a lot of money as you go. And listen, that's not necessarily true for everyone, but it made a lot of sense for me. And it was just this moment that I was just like, done. This is where I'm going in my life. And it just was such a very strong, impactful statement to say to somebody. So, you know, you have to be selfless with giving your advice and your 
knowledge. But at the same time, you have to allow them to have their own voice. And I think that's such an important thing. It's like a duality to be able to offer both. You're not doing anybody any favors by just telling them what to do all the time and telling them exactly how to live their life. That's not really a mentorship. I think true mentorship is being able to allow them to grow in their own way. And that could be probably very difficult for a lot of people, but it's important to me. Those are two really great tips for helping to open up the possibility space for other creators. I'm grateful that you're out there doing it. Yeah. Can you tell me about some memorable notes or hands-on practical advice that you've received in your career? I think one of the things that have stuck with me the most, I worked for a gentleman who also had a product line, a hair care line, who became extremely successful with that product line. And, you know, I worked in his organization. It was my first time learning about this world. We weren't the same. Like his was hugely successful in a very different way. And it never really felt right for me. So I decided to leave and I called him up and I said, listen, here's the information I'm going to be leaving your organization. And, you know, it was a bittersweet thing. I mean, he taught me a lot, but I just knew it wasn't the right fit. And then right when we got off the phone, he said, hey, just always stay humble. And as obvious as that statement is, I know for him, that was something that he probably learned a lot of lessons throughout. His, like he kind of went through it, maybe not being humble at some points. And he wanted to share that with me. And I really held on to that. And I think that that, first of all, you're so much better to work with. Even if you have your own business and your own brand, you're still working with people. And if you're not humble, I mean, it's just, you just, nobody wants to work with you. As you're creating, if you can be humble, I think that's part of the process to allow the creation to happen, whatever it is that you're doing. If you're so focused on yourself that I think you're not allowing for a real authentic creative process to happen. Another one, I also, you know, everybody always remembers the good and the bad ones. I think there was a process where I went to start my product line. This is many years ago. And I met with a gentleman who, business guy, he worked for a big manufacturing company and he took a meeting with me. I showed up in this, so I guess I wasn't being humble. I showed, <laughs> I showed up in this like black SUV and I was like driven. <laughs> I, I really had these grand illusions at the beginning of what this was going to be. And he sat down with me and he goes, so, you know, how many SKUs you want to make? And I said, well, what's a SKU? <laughs> and, he, and he closed his book and he said, listen, don't come in here. I, I sell million dollars worth of products daily. And like, you know, don't come in here if you don't know what a SKU is and waste my time. And I was like, oh, damn, that's like harsh. <laughs> like, I felt my heart just sink. Right. <laughs> and then he kind of looked at me and goes, listen, I get you really want to do this. So... I'm going to give you the name of somebody who you're going to contact, and this individual is going to break down for you what a SKU is, all the stuff that you need to know before you come and have a meeting with me. And the takeaway from there was really, you know, yes, people are busy, but if you can make that turn in the conversation where something can come from it, because he literally could have just like walked me out of the door and like, that's it. Right. Game over. But I think that those moments, as painful as it was, was really helpful because you know, there's two ways of learning. One is like through an organic process and the other way is like somebody kind of slamming the door on you a little bit, you know, and, and you take those lessons and you don't want to get completely bowled over by it. But at the same time, you kind of want to turn it into a positive way you can. So that was a really great experience. It just makes me think back to our earlier conversation on how to be a good mentor. And as a good way of framing how to do that, even in passing, 
in an experience with somebody who has made a mistake. I think that's really generous, or not even necessarily a mistake, but when you see an opportunity to give a person who has maybe stumbled in some way the tools to learn from that. You know, I don't know if it felt it at the time, but I can see how that's a really generous and useful act. It was actually quite helpful. I mean, it's funny because also at the same time, this individual came back into the process at a distance, and we didn't actually end up working together, but you just don't know where somebody's going to be 10 years down the line. They could be your next multi-million dollar account, you know? So he was wise to know that, yeah, hey, this kid, could, you know, he's a little kid who doesn't know what a skew is at this point, but he may come back 10 years from now and he could be my biggest client. So I don't know if he was, you know, being purposefully mentoring, but maybe I just caught him on a good day. And sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes you catch people on good days and sometimes you catch them on bad days. I guess what you do with yourself and receiving that information, regardless of, of their intent. Going back to my first mentor, he told me to build a foundation. And I think that a lot of people don't do that. So I'm trying to think about this and other creative formats as well. But let's just talk hair for a second. Back in the day, we would do roller sets. And the roller set is your foundation because you can brush it out and you can manipulate it into anything afterwards. That was one thing that he taught me. But he also taught me, and I teach this to anybody that trains with me, is you need to step away from your work and get perspective. And it sounds so obvious, but I think unless you have some kind of art background, these are things that are not really taught. I haven't seen this on YouTube. Let's just put it that way. I'm certainly not judging it, but I'm just saying like there's a lot of stuff that's like... We always want to get to the good stuff. You know, we always want to get to the the finishing touches of something, but actually how something becomes timeless and something manages to go through many different eras as if there's a foundation and if you have perspective on your work. So those two things were very, very important from a technical perspective. And quite frankly, I as a hairdresser am not technical at all. I just kind of like, again, it's a visceral thing for me. Of course, I have the background education on being technical, but I oftentimes throw that at the door because anybody can be technical. And so what are you doing differently and how are you doing that? So foundation, perspective, and also telling a story, I think is really crucial with everything. And so applicable across all mediums and art form. Another one that was really important to me, and it wasn't anybody specific, it was just like an aha moment. I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, it's a classic. I mean, it's not a hard read, but I come from a very much a working class family, you know, growing up. And, you know, you, you work for a job. The whole takeaway from that book is, Actually, what the rich dad knows is that you want to invest in yourself, right? As opposed to just going to work for somebody. Now, it's always great to work for somebody. Not everybody can be an entrepreneur. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I took away from that was, okay, so there's obviously some valuable information in that statement. And what I've learned is as an artist, not only do you have to take care of your financial aspects as well. And I think that that's something that's really important for people to also know is that oftentimes we don't find the value in the financial aspect of things. But also you want to invest in yourself and your career and your artistry as well. So whether that's taking classes or, you know, maybe you take a little bit of extra money and you put it towards something that's going to make you better, whatever it is, I think that that's really crucial. And so that was more my takeaway than anything from that book was just invest, but in yourself and your work. So from a creative perspective, that's also quite helpful. That's everything. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's time to get to the silly stuff. So this next section is called unsolicited feedback. I'm going to throw out some big topics. Some of them are kind of abstract, and I want you to try and give some constructive notes to them. You can be as dismissive as you would like. Okay. In fact, I, I encourage it. <laughs> we'll bang through a couple of these here. 
can you give some unsolicited feedback to the the Met Gala? Oh, <laughs> I mean, the Met Gala is the holiest day of my year. <laughs> this is like, I mean, you want feedback? The feedback is, okay, I'll give some feedback. It's really changed a lot. And I understand so has life. And we have to have to move with the times. So what do I mean by it's changed so much? I mean, the Met Gala was this like high art fashion designers who dressed celebrities and creative people to go with a theme and it's from my vogue and so like you know that's high art in the fashion world that's like the the most important day it's the super bowl of beauty and fashion and it's evolved so much i mean if you take a look at the one that just passed the other day it's all very and i'm gonna sound really old here it's all very like tiktok stars and you know reality show which i love and i know that that is the now There's a different type of performance that's done in this case. So again, I think it's probably coming back to what I'm saying about the foundation and having perspective. We're very much in an era that's just of the moment and it's fast and things come and go. And there's not really that real strength of performance when it comes to that, which I loved with other artists maybe in the past several years who really gave a lot of the drama And so I think that's where I'm at with the Met Gala. Listen, I'm still obsessed. And I will say, I'm very proud to say that some hairdressers used my brush from my brand. Oh, hell yeah. To do some of that hair. And I'm like, wow, this is like the greatest thing ever because it is such an important event for people like myself. Well, then I have uh, unsolicited feedback for the Met Gala. Okay. Just continue to use Jason's products. (laughs) Uh, Perhaps more of them next year. I love that. (laughs) Does that make sense though? Just the idea of like, Listen, it is now, and art is of the moment, so I'm not going to knock it. I just, perhaps, personally, as a viewer, missing the old times when it was a different level of artistry. But Kim Kardashian looked beautiful, you know, so all good. (laughs) Draw from the past. Remember what worked, Met Gala. Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) I wanted to ask you for unsolicited feedback on the experience of dancing with Madonna. Oh, so there's a story. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay, so my whole life I grew up, I wanted to be a backup dancer for Madonna. I was obsessed with all of her backup dancers. She really gave a voice to what we consider now to be diversity. You know, she was diverse before anybody was diverse. So I, as a young Asian gay male to the gay male growing up, would see these dancers and I was like, oh my God, I can, this is incredible. Like, I've never thought that I would have like a spot like that in the world as well. And so she came to Toronto, which is where I live, and she opened up a gym and she was auditioning dancers all over the world, really, to do this like workout video that she was going to put together. It was a promo workout video. And I got in. I was blown away by her work ethic. Okay, so I think she must have been in her 50s at this time. I think she had an injury when she did it. She was in New York City watching the rehearsals. So we were given 24 hours to learn a half an hour dance routine. Okay. That I can assure you is not easy. And she was watching, there was like a little Apple iPhone kind of like at the front of the room where there was like probably about 30 people dancing and she was moving people around and she was learning the routine at the same time. She flew in the day of, and just like the level of work ethic I have a very strong work ethic. This was like, I was like nothing compared to this work ethic. And the work ethic inspired everybody around her to work really, really hard. So my only feedback is like, I don't even have feedback. It's just like, how, how to keep it up. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Like it was just so inspiring to see somebody at this stage of her career, you know, like she had already done everything else that she was doing. 
But the level of work and the inspiration that she had around her was mind-blowing. And when she walked into the room, literally the air changed. So no feedback, uh, just, you know. Admiration. Admiration. And if you ever get a chance to meet your your heroes, I mean, I didn't really want to meet her, meet her, because that can change things. But just a little glimpse into her world was mind-blowing. Last one. Sure. Can you give some unsolicited feedback to my unkept hair <laughs> I've got, well, we'll put a picture up on, on, on instagram for, for the listeners but i i'm not at my best right now so you're telling a story right now with your hair i'm getting you know like very alternative guitar kind of like <laughs> musician i don't know if you like the grateful dead fish that kind of vibe so here's the thing like if we sat together you would have to tell me if i'm right or if i'm wrong but that's my interpretation and then you have to decide is that what i'm trying to put out into the world because then what we would do is we would kind of say, well, what do you want to put out into the world? Who are you? Is it connected to what you're trying to say? And that's kind of what my role would be is to kind of make sure that you're on point. Now, I also, as we're talking, I'm also getting a sense of maybe a different type of vibe, maybe more of an alternative kind of Queen West kind of a vibe. So I gotta, I kind of have to sit and talk to you more and understand where your inspiration is coming from. And then we would just kind of play with it. But you have good hair. So that's nice. I like that. Oh, I certainly <laughs> like hearing that. But uh, OK, hair, think about how you want to be perceived in the exactly. world. Exactly. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to sit on that. Okay. For sure. With that said, it's time for our last segment. So this is called Noting Your Past Self. And the conceit here is that I have invented time travel and I am squandering it by using it for the sole purpose of allowing you to give notes and feedback to your past self. That said, I'm curious, what point in time would you travel to and what advice would you give to yourself? I think there was an era for me, probably in my 20s, where it really felt, okay, so I always knew that I was going to do something with my life. I didn't know to what extent, and the definition of something just meant I was going to create something that I was going to put into the world. And there were a lot of years in my 20s where it was that whole Malcolm Gladwell thing where you had to earn your 10,000 hours. But in those 10,000 hours, it feels really icky. I would go back to that part of myself and just say, hey, you do get there. You kind of know you're going to, but at the same time, it's just like walking up a hill, carrying a fridge on your back. It's just painful. <laughs> and I would say, listen, just keep going because it's really important to do this because what you don't realize is that you're building again, a foundation or a strength for what's to come. When I do speak to other hairdressers or people who feel maybe stuck, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but that has been other people's wording. And like, they're just not feeling great about what they're doing. I think like I just remind them that I know exactly, exactly what you're talking about and it can be pretty uncomfortable. So sometimes through great art, sometimes you have to go through a little bit of discomfort. You just have to choose, like, is this discomfort in the right direction or is this discomfort because I'm really in the wrong place in my life? There's a big difference between the two. Jason, uh, is there anything you're working on that you'd like to plug? I'm really proud that we launched our hair care line. It's a luxury hair care line, salon professional quality. It's available in salons across Ontario for the moment, but we are working towards global domination. It's available in Miami. It's available in Nova Scotia at the moment. It's called Mela and Kara. It's a very special brand that I spent the last 15 years of my life developing. 
Some of the formulations have over 20 reworkings. It's a very, very high performance product, meaning that it will do exactly what it says. And at the same time, it's considered clean by EU standards. So we really focused a lot on ticking off all the boxes plus more. We're getting rave reviews and I'm very happy about that. One of the things that we did, we took five years to design our packaging because we wanted a very architectural graphic look, very modern, but at the same time it needed to be sustainable. So that was a very difficult thing to merge those two things together. So as a result now, all the positive feedback is due to a lot of hard work and making sure that we didn't put anything out that wasn't above, above average. So I'm very proud of it. Please, listeners, check it out. Put it in your hair. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and experience. And this has been Goodest Notes. If you have a subject you would like a future guest to give notes on, please write in to goodestnotes at gmail.com. And that is the end of our show. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Goodest Notes. We are produced by Drew Thomas, who also wrote the Goodest Notes theme song along with myself. We held hands the entire time. How nice. Let's do this again. We did it. You did great.